Praise the Lord. This is Jacob Lovelace with The Promise Church, and we want to welcome you to our new podcast, Messages from the Promise. We want you to be blessed by the word of the Lord that's shared here each week at The Promise Apostolic Church. Hope these words richly bless you. God bless. Praise God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. We thank you today. We give you great praise, God. We give you great praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't it feel good in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. I feel some liberty in here. Hallelujah. Praise God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Yes, thank you, Sister Gina, Brother Jordan, Brother Isaac, Brother Ben, and singers. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. We appreciate them so very much. And um, Brother Mickey Burton is one of my very best friends in the world. And uh, uh, I love you, Mickey, and I appreciate you very, very much. You, you, uh, Light my day when I see you walk in, and so we're very, very grateful to see you today. And and also, uh, it's good to see my great friend Curtis here today. Curtis took another job sometime back out of state, but he's back in town now, and he's he's back in the groove. He says for good, and so we baptized Curtis not not too many months ago. So Curtis, it's just great to see. You sitting on the front row tonight, we love you, and it's good, good to see you too tonight, my brother. Amen. And uh, Brother Lovelace already said this, but we appreciate Brother Dustin. Uh, I got the, the, the honor of getting to participate yesterday, and Brother Dustin just done a first-class job, always does, and just a beautiful job. Brother Dustin, thank you for what you did, and thank you for making not only that day available, it's a beautiful fall day to get out and play some golf, but also raising some money for our church, so God bless you, thank you so very much. My wife put a post-it note on my notes here, and it says, Monday, October the 5th, the women's esprit, we pray first, we'll be meeting here in the sanctuary at 6.30, the first Monday in October the 5th, 6.30, all ladies meeting here for prayer. So don't forget that. I love and appreciate every single person that uh, is in this church. I, I love our leadership Amen. here. Uh, I love Brother Lovelace and Sister Lovelace and their family. And I appreciate them so very much. The burden, the ministry, all of our elders, all of the ministry, Brother Ragsdale, we know what you and Sister Opal have been doing, and, but, but man, it's so good to see you today. And You tell Sister Opal we love her, miss her, anxious for the day that we can be back together again very soon. She had a very serious uh, surgery on her heart. She's in recovery, has to be very, very uh, careful, and we understand that completely. The last two Sundays, the messages that we have heard have been tremendous, have been so good, and... Uh, Brother Lovelace has preached about the Holy Ghost the last two weeks. And uh, since we had our very first service here on Mother's Day in this new facility, there have been dozens and dozens of people baptized in the name of Jesus. 
And so those of you that have been baptized, you carry with you today the promise of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. He says, you shall, you shall, you carry the promise of the reception of the Holy Ghost. And so what Brother Lovelace preached last week and the week before, the, the biblical evidence of that was demonstrated here by two people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we knew they did because we heard them speak in other tongues and magnify God. So Brother Lovelace, thank you for your burden. Thank you for seeing that need. Amen. We appreciate his sensitivity to the people's need. Amen. And it's a joy. It's, it's the joy of my life to be able to stand behind this sacred desk and minister to such great people. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here tonight and speak on behalf of the Lord and speak to you. And we are undoubtedly living in the end times. There is no doubt about it. I want to share with you just a couple of things here. 2020 has absolutely magnified that fact that we're living in the end times. 2020 has been an amazing year in so many ways. But just this past Tuesday at the White House in Washington, D.C., Israel signed the Abraham Accord. They signed that peace treaty with the uh, United Arab Emirates and also with the uh, Arab country of Bahrain. And uh, the uh, president's son-in-law, who is a Jewish uh, man, has been very instrumental in bringing together these countries for peace. And uh, I heard him say that, quote, this was the beginning of the end of Middle East conflict. He said that the other day. And as more and more Arab countries come to the peace table and sign this agreement, what's going to happen evidently is the Palestinians or the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, evidently will be the last group that will come because they will be pressured by all the other Arab countries who are coming one by one to sign the peace treaty. They will be the last signature, it appears to me anyway, and that signature will be the one that the Bible refers to to begin the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. Brother Nicholas Gilbert from uh, Indianapolis, he's in Bible college there, he and my, my brother-in-law, Brother Steve Johnson, both sent me an article this week that was printed in the Jerusalem Post newspaper. The title of that article is this and was this. Is it time to normalize the Temple Mount? And as I read that article, I was astonished to find the article saying that the wall of Islamic rejection for the Jewish nation is being taken down brick by brick, the article said. For those of you who have not been in church for a long time, have not heard or been able to study end time prophecies or things from the book of Revelation, 
You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? There will be a third Jewish temple built on that piece of real estate called the Temple Mount. And since the, uh, for decades now, since Israel has been occupying that area and been a nation again, they have not been allowed to worship or have any access to the Temple Mount. But according to Scripture, they will have that access and very, very soon and they will be able to build that temple on that temple mount. So I found it very interesting having signed the Abraham Accord this past Tuesday that a day or two following, Brother Steve, the article was written that normalization is happening on the temple mount. And that seems to be the buzzword, normalization. Actually showing again and revealing one more time the accuracy and the power of the Word of God. Amen. Uh, my brother-in-law Steve is a student of end time prophecy. For, for not being a pulpit minister, I don't know anyone that's a, a greater student of end time prophecy than my brother-in-law. He told me the other day that the red heifers that Israel needs to be able to sacrifice to cleanse the nation and cleanse the temple articles and the temple itself, they have to have a red heifer. Now, what to define that for you is there has to be a, a, a cow that has not one hair on it anywhere that is not red. Its eyelashes cannot have a diff different color. Its hooves have to be that color. And Steve told me that Israel has two red heifers that just 22 days ago, on August the 29th, were qualified to be sacrificed by age because they are now two years old. These are exciting times for the church. We are living in such exciting times. Temple Mount being normalized, Red heifer ready to be sacrificed. All those things coming to place. This is an incredibly exciting time for the church. Jesus said, when you see these things come about, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. And um, COVID-19 is and has been part of the plan of God to move this world closer to a cashless society. It's been the plan of God um, which will inevitably lead to the mark of the beast. When you no longer have cash to put in your pocket to buy or sell, when everything is digital and no one is accepting any other currency other than digital currency, someone will be able to be cut off. And if you don't have the appropriate number or mark or chip or whatever that might be, and COVID-19 has been a bulldozer paving a road that will one day be paved with good intentions. It looks like the best thing to do is get that nasty cash out of people's hands. And so COVID-19 has been in the plan of God from the very, very beginning. Man, 
It sounds like I'm going to preach to you about end time prophecy tonight, but I'm not. I'm, I'm actually not. I have a message from the Lord tonight that is for everybody in this place. God wants to encourage you. He wants to try to help us all tonight. You know, the Bible is made up of 1,189 chapters. 1,189 chapters. The very first two chapters are about a pre-sin perfect world. The preceding 1,185 chapters are about a corrupted and cursed sinful world. And the last two chapters are about a perfect world that is coming. Isn't that amazing? Started with a perfect world. Most of the Bible is about a sin-cursed world. The last two chapters about a perfect world. You see, God's creation commenced perfectly. And very soon it will return to a perfect sense again. And everything in between those four chapters is a struggle. Anybody say amen to that? You know, we're not living in the first two, and we're not yet living in the last two. We're all living somewhere in that 1185 chapters. We're living in a sin-cursed world. Amen. And it is a struggle. Pastor's already said it. Chase has alluded to it tonight. We are living in a world where it is nothing but struggle. I want to take for a text this evening. We're going to look in the book of Revelation, chapter number 12. Revelation chapter 12, if you would, stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord to honor that. Two thousand years ago, John the Revelator on the island of Patmos saw into the future and he reports this, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Now, listen, just, just those words alone, just those words alone are very unsettling. There was war in heaven. Michael, Michael is one of the very few top-ranked archangels that God has. Michael and his angels... Fought, F-O-U-G-H-T, fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Now this, don't, don't mistake this. this, this is an unmistakably picture of an angelic, demonic battlefield that's going to happen, has not happened yet. And the dragon and his angels prevailed not. Neither was their place, their place found anymore in heaven. It may surprise some of you to know that the dragon, the devil, and his angels still to this day have access, according to the word of God, in and out of heaven. We have biblical record of that. When the, the sons of God, the angels came and gathered themselves before the throne of God, the Bible says in Job that the devil came also. And he and God had a conversation about that man. 
by the name of Job. And here in verse number 9, the dragon that Revelation 12 speaks of is unmasked. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. The dragon of Revelation chapter 12 is the serpent of Genesis chapter 3. Isn't that something? He's that old serpent. He's called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. That's pretty stout right there. He deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse number 10. Praise God. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven after the war, Now is come salvation. Now is come strength. Now is come the kingdom of our God, and now is come the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The Genesis chapter 3 serpent is our accuser. He's not anybody's friend. He's not anybody's confidant. He relentlessly, day and night, he never stops accusing us before the throne of God. He's arguing like an attorney with a closing case. He's arguing like an attorney before a jury or before a judge. And I'm going to tell you something. That's, that's a pretty sobering thought. It actually is, is terrifying to me, Brother Denver, to think that my mistakes and my failures are being presented before the throne of God every single day. That is unsettling to me. And I want you to know it's only because of God's mercy and God's grace that allow me as a human being to keep moving forward because I have an accuser. And I want you to know I make mistakes and I believe everybody here ought to be able to say, yeah, I make mistakes too. So we thank God today for His marvelous grace and his unmerited favor towards us because we have an accuser. I'm going to do my best not to hold you very long. I'm going to refer back to verse number 7. I want to preach to you on this thought. Until the war is over. Until the war is over. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful that you've allowed us to gather here tonight and we feel your presence. We feel your love. Thank you for giving us a beautiful fall day together. I pray for every person that's sitting in this room tonight and those that might be watching now or be watching later. I pray, God, that you would open our eyes. I pray that you would open our word and open our hearts. I ask you to guard my lips. Don't allow me to say anything offensive that you would not have me to say. God, just speak to us clearly through your word tonight and accomplish everything that you want to do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. 
In the book of Genesis, before the fall, the whole earth was under subjection to Adam. The earth actually provided to him whatever he needed. The earth actually served him. Fruit, vegetables, refuge, shade, clean water, beautiful things to look at, tranquility, all the things that Adam desired and all the things that he needed was provided to him without him ever having to lift a hand. And the animals that God created were all like pets. They were all like dogs, you know, and cats. It just, they were friendly. They were around uh, to, be, to be spoken to. And Adam, he had dominion over the entire planet. But when we sort through the rubble of the crash site that is the Garden of Eden, when we go there and we sort through the fall, we find that the earth is now very different. It's very different. As a matter of fact, I think you could say that everything was upside down. Now the earth rules over the man. And everything, every single thing that the man needs now comes through struggle. Everything now comes through labor. Everything now comes by the sweat of his brow. And isn't it interesting to know that even now, 6,000 years later, with all the technology that we have now, we as a species, we constantly have to fight the earth for survival still yet. That's why we work 40-hour, 60-hour, and maybe some of you may work 80-hour work weeks. We have to mow. We have to weed eat. We have to go to the grocery store and shop and pay for the groceries. Farmers have to work all day and into the night trying to feed the planet. Everything needs to be fixed now. Everything needs to be maintained now because the man doesn't have dominion over the earth anymore. The earth has dominion over the man. Problems come shortly after the fall. There was murder in Adam's immediate family. Adam's son, Cain, murdered his and Eve's son, Abel. And problem after problem cascaded upon family after family until finally, by Genesis chapter number 6, the flood comes and God destroys the whole earth except for Noah and his family. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. We know that. The whole world lieth in wickedness. As a matter of fact, Brother Compton, you may say that the world is saturated with wickedness. We see it in our media. We hear it in our music. We see it in the lifestyles of people. We see it in politics every day. The world is saturated with wickedness. And naturally speaking, we see earthquakes and we see floods and we see tornadoes. There are wild animals and there are poisonous plants, insects and weeds and rocks and roots. Just this past week, I uh, went on a, a hike 
And when I got to the trailhead, there was a sign that said, Caution, dangerous animals ahead, proceed with caution. And the reason that's like that is because of what we're talking about. And Sister Missy, I hadn't been on the trail two minutes until I saw what was looked to me to be a copperhead cross the path and went over the hill out of sight. And it wasn't too long that I had to get in my backpack and get some bug spray out, spray on my neck because there were things buzzing around my ears. And I saw poison ivy climbing up the tree. Isaac right now has poison oak on his, one of his feet because of the world that we're living in. And I find something incredibly interesting found in the book of Romans chapter number eight. I want to read this to you. Romans chapter number 8, beginning with verse 18. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly. You see that? Not willingly. But by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because, listen to this, the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in what? Pain together until now. All of creation right now is in pain. Creation was forced, forced to live under the bondage and the burden and the weight of sin. It was forced to. Adam and Eve, they willingly walked in. They willingly disobeyed and they walked into sin. But creation was forced to carry the weight of sin. And I want you to know tonight that the earth, this planet, and all that is here knows its condition. It knows its condition, and it knows that one of these days it's going to be liberated very, very soon when the sons of God are manifested. So I want you to get a mental image of lions and tigers and lambs grazing in the same meadow. That's what we're talking about. Amen. I want you to get in your mind with me now a maintenance-free world where nothing has to be fixed anymore. Nothing has to be maintained anymore. And I want you to know tonight that God Almighty hears the groaning. He hears the creaking. He hears the stress of the weight of sin on this world. He hears it. What does it sound like, Brother Vickers? What does the weight of sin sound like upon this world that God is hearing? It sounds like social conflict. It sounds like social unrest. It sounds like military conflict. It sounds like health hazards. It sounds to God like senseless violence. 
food shortages. It sounds like Democrats and Republicans squabbling with one another. It sounds like forest fires. And it's all coming from a pained, fallen world that is moaning and groaning and travailing under the weight of the bondage of sin. I want you to go back with me now all the way to the beginning into a perfect Eden. The first two chapters of your Bible in that perfect place, here comes the wicked venom dripping serpent. For those of you that may not know, have not been taught, haven't heard the story of the creation of Lucifer, who he was, what he was, how God made him, what God made him to be, you ought to read that. It's found in the book of Ezekiel chapter number 28. And if you have not, you do not know in detail his fall, what happened to him and how he went from what God created him to what he is now, that's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. You should read that, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah chapter 14. But until the war is over, until the war is over, Satan will be continually trying to get you to doubt the God that you serve tonight. I want to repeat that. Until the war is over, Satan will be undoubtedly day after day trying to get you to doubt everything that you know and everything that you have been taught and everything that you have experienced about the God that you serve. And then he will go to the throne of God and make accusation about you before the throne of God. Every single day he will be sowing seeds of doubt. He will try to get you to doubt the word of God. He will try to get you to doubt the love of God. He will try to get you to doubt the authority of God. He'll try to get you to doubt God's plan for you and for your life and for your family. And he will do everything he can to get you to doubt the goodness of God. You know what I'm talking about when I talk about a broadcaster? You're sowing seed, you're cranking that hand when it's throwing grass seed everywhere. Satan is a broadcaster. He's a seed-sowing doubter. It's his entire purpose, coupled with making accusations about you. What a, what a guy. Huh? What a guy. It, you know, but I want to tell you something, we're not alone. We have never been alone in having to deal with this, this, this uh, storm of gunfire, so to speak that the devil sprays this gunfire of doubt that he sprays because John the Baptist faced the doubter. John the Baptist had broadcast seeds in his life and he fought through that. The apostle Peter was facing the seeds of doubt and he fought through that. And then you have Thomas who earned the nickname Doubting Thomas because he too had to, had to work through the seeds of doubt and he fought through it. So you and I today, we are not alone, but we are a generation that has to continue to push back against the doubter that sows seeds into your life. After the flood, the world united against God there at Babel where God confounded their language. And then a few years later, God chooses one man, just one. He chose a man by the name of Abraham. 
And in Abraham, in Abraham was the <laughs> in Abraham was the promise of a redeemer who would be able to come and fix everything that had gone so terribly wrong. God chose one man and put in him a promise of someone that would come. Abraham had 12 sons and every single one of them struggled. Their tribes, if you will, or their descendants, every single one struggled throughout the entire Old Testament. They struggled. After 400 years of silence between the closing of your Old Testament and the opening of your new, there was 400 years of silence, but then Jesus was born. And in the flesh, in the flesh, Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. The devil came, the dragon came and tempted the Lord Jesus. And I want you to know it was the heavyweight battle of the world. As Satan, the dragon, stood before Jesus Christ in the flesh and not with physical strength, not with an IQ of any sort or not with deception, but Jesus overcame the dragon. Jesus overcame Satan simply by the spoken word of God. And at the base of the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the second Garden of Eden, so to speak. The serpent returns. Venom dripping from his fangs once again. And there is Jesus in the garden. Jesus is praying in agony. He is sweating blood. I want you to know tonight that the Lord Jesus in the flesh wrestled against spirits and he wrestled against his very own flesh all throughout the night. It was the single most pivotal moment in human history. Our eternal destinies hung in the balance as Jesus Christ wrestled through the night with spirits and with his own flesh. But he came out of that garden victorious when he spoke these words, not my will, but thine, O God, be done. Thank God. The last Adam, the second Adam, did not succumb to the venomous pressure of the old serpent, but Jesus came out victorious. Having died a violent death on Calvary, Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, he walked out. I said he walked out. He didn't float out, he walked out. And he returned that borrowed tomb to its rightful owner and held in his nail-scarred hands the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And I declare unto you tonight, those locks will never be changed. Jesus holds the keys victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus, the promise. Jesus, the promised seed, had crushed the head of the dragon. Jesus there at that tomb declawed the dragon. He removed him from being a destroyer 
And he made him nothing more than a doubt-sowing accuser. That's what he is now. He is a doubt-sowing accuser. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He doesn't have any claws that he doesn't have any claws at work against you or your family. If you're serving God, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but he will sow some seeds of doubt. He will work that doubt wheel and he will stand before God and he will accuse you, but he cannot pluck you out of the hand of Almighty God. The Bible declares it. No one can pluck you out of the hand of God. For that we can rejoice tonight. Hey, but life's a struggle. It's a struggle. <clears throat> that doubt sower, he worked, he worked on Moses. He worked on Elijah. He worked on Abraham and Sarah. He worked on Gideon. He worked on Job. And because of that, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 3, and I want to show you some of the tactics that the devil uses because, listen to me, he's not changed. I don't know if he can't. I don't know if he thinks these are the best tactics or what. You would think he would evolve if that's real, right? He would evolve into something better, but he, he still uses this, the very same tactics that he used against Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Three words. Hath God said, Hath God said, Eve, did God say, Brother Gary, what God says is his word. And so when God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, you can eat of every tree but this one, that was God's word. And the serpent, the dragon, the devil, Satan, his attack and he still uses that attack, is to try to get you to doubt the Word of God. He's always planting seeds to try to get you to doubt what the Word of God says, what the man of God says, what the pastor says across the pulpit. He's always trying to get you to do that. And I want you to listen. This is very important. I want you to listen closely. If, if he can get you to limit your exposure to the Word of God. Limit your exposure to the Word if He can convince you to neglect the Word of God. If He can get you to do that, that's all He wants to do. 
Because limited contact with the Word of God and neglecting the Word of God is doubting the Word of God. Do you see that? It cheapens the Word of God. It lessens the value of the Word of God. He just wants you to neglect it a little bit. He just wants you to leave it laying over there. He doesn't want you to listen to it on your Bible app. If he can get you to neglect it just one more day in your mind, he's trying to lessen the value of the Word of God. He's cranking that wheel. He's sowing those seeds of doubt. Hath God said? I question what God said. The Bible declares that the Word of God is a sword. It says that it is fire. It says that it is a hammer. And it is a seed. And I want you to know tonight, the devil's trying to distract every one of us from what we need to build our life up on. You need to build your life on the Word of God. Now the serpent, let me read that one more time. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God said that. And the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. You're not gonna die. You will not die cranking out those seeds to get them a doubt, to doubt the authority of God. The authority of God. The devil was saying, he's not in control. He's not in control of everything. You don't have to obey him every time he opens his mouth. You need to be your own person, Eve. You need to live your life. This is your life. You need to live it like you want it. Doubt God's authority. Verse number five. For God, listen to the devil. For, the, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. The devil was telling her, God's plan for you is to limit you. His plan for you is less than what it should be. Sowing seeds of doubt about God's plan. His plan, are, are you hearing me now? Listen to me. The devil told Eve, told Eve, his plan for you is not the only plan. His plan for you is not the only one. There's an easier way. There's a better way. Just wait till your eyes are open. If you take a hold of that fruit and you bite down into it, you just wait till your eyes are open because you're going to see. You're going to see that God's plan is not the best plan for you. I'm just trying to sow some seeds of doubt, Eve. Just take a bite. Just try and see. Now I want everybody to listen very carefully now, especially the young people. And I know all of you young people are hoping and praying very soon, God willing, prayerfully, that you'll be able to get back together, right, and have your worship service. I know you need it, but I want every young person 
to listen very carefully. Back to verse number one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? This is very important. Right here the devil was sowing seeds, planting a seed of doubt about the goodness of God. He was telling her, God is robbing you of something you should have. There's something good here in the midst of this garden that you will love. And God is trying to keep you from it. Eve, you should be able to try that. Eve, you should be able to taste that. He's not all that good. Look at it. Look at that tree. What's different about that tree than all the other trees? You should be able to taste that. He is limiting you. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Young people, listen to me. The devil told Eve, you should be able to go over there and do that. You should be able to go there and try that. You should be able to go over there and touch that. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God is trying to rob you. God is trying to keep you from something that will make you happy. That's what the devil's job is, trying to trick you into the fact that God is not good, that God doesn't have your best interest at heart. And I know every young person, you get that, you get that billboarded, emailed, text, tweeted. You get that every single day. You ought to be able to go there. You ought to be able to do that. You ought to be able to watch that. You ought to be able to listen to that. Why does God say you shouldn't? That's good. It's fun. You should be able to do that. But that's the father of all lies talking. Are you hearing me tonight? The father of every single lie that has ever been told is coming from that same voice. He is the bloodthirsty murderer that was from the beginning. He is the accuser. He's the one that accuses you. He tries to talk you in to doing what God says you shouldn't do, and then he runs immediately to the throne of God and presents his case. Look at him, Jesus. The serpent, the devil, Satan, that's him talking. And I want to ask you tonight, I want to politely ask you this. Is that who you want to hook your wagon to? Is that who you want to listen to? The father of all lies? The murderer from the beginning? The accuser of the brethren? That's who's doing that seed sowing. And I present to you tonight, we cannot and we will not and we will never listen to the voice of the accuser. But our ears are tuned to heaven tonight and to the word of God. Satan, Satan is so desperate tonight to get you to doubt the goodness of God. He wants you to doubt God's goodness. <clears throat> In 2020, he wants you to doubt God's goodness. But listen to me. God is good. God is good. God is good. Good. 
He has always been good. He's never been anything but good. From the day that he made Adam and Eve, he's always been good. He is the standard for good. Everything he does is good. Everything that God does is good. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't understand it, I want you to know what goes on in your life is good. God is good. Brother Jacob Loveless, can you testify that God is good? Brother Gary Pearson, can you testify that God is good? Brother Curtis, can you testify that God is good tonight? No matter what it feels like, no matter what it looks like, God is good. God is good. Woo! <laughs> you just sung the song. God is good all the time, all the time. He is good. You may not be able to see it, feel it, hear it, or understand it, but you're not seeing it from God's perspective. If you could only see it from God's perspective, it would make perfect sense. That's why the devil wants you to doubt his word, doubt his authority, doubt his plan, doubt his goodness. Musicians and singers... You guys, come on, I'm winding up. Psalm chapter 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. No matter what my bank account says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Why? How can you do that? Because I know that God is good. Because I know that everything that goes on in my life it's good because God is in it. God is governing over my life. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I don't care how many seeds of doubt spray me right in the face. My voice will lift up continual praise about the God that I serve. Spray me down with seeds of doubt, devil. I'm gonna trust in the Lord. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. He delivered me from my fears. They looked unto him and they were lighted and their faces were not ashamed. Listen, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see. Oh, just taste and see. If you've never tasted, you need to try. 
If you've never seen it, you need to see it for yourself. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. (laughs) Blessed is the man that trusteth in him because the Lord is good. Psalm 84 and 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. (laughs) A lot of folks try to serve God and they try to put their hand on the scale. You know what I'm saying? I love you. I want to serve you. I want to do everything you want me to do, except I've got some things that I like. Some, I want to put my hand on the scale. God, I want to serve you. Listen to what this scripture says. No good thing will he withhold from him who walks up rightly. You cannot come to God on your terms. You have to come to God and serve God on his terms. Psalms 119.68 Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Romans 8 and 28. And we know. I wonder if there's anybody in this place tonight that's got it settled in their head. I know. I know. I've been through enough and now I know that all things, all things, Work together for what? All things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are called according to His purpose. Saints of the promise, guests that are here with us tonight, until the war is over, until the war is over, I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to be facing a barrage of seeds of doubt. Doubting God's word, doubting God's authority, doubting God's plan, doubting God's goodness. But until the. Thank you for joining our podcast. We want to invite you to our church Wednesdays at 7 o'clock, Sunday afternoons at 345. We want to say thank you for joining us and also tune in next time for our podcast, Messages from the Promise. <laughs>